Today on the Andrew Kubrater Show, we'll be going over a proposed law of sorts. Of course, we don't have the actual draft in hand, but a proposed bill called the Safer Kentucky Act, a sweeping piece of legislation coming mainly from Louisville House Republican representatives pushing forward a series of law changes in order to address crime, drugs, and a litany of other issues that are plaguing not just Louisville, but all over Kentucky. We'll be taking a look at the proposal that they've put out and what they say they're going to address uh, and, and just kind of take a deep dive on some of these issues, some things we like, some things we don't like and so on and so forth. But before we dig into it, please make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe. As always, if you're listening to this on the podcast platform, please make sure you leave a five-star review. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Rumble, and you want to go ahead and be able to take it more easily on the go and you can't listen to this while you are just driving in your car or working out or something like that, uh, you can listen to it also on the podcasting platform. And a few quick announcements. Tonight, I will be up in northern Kentucky for a fundraiser uh, for Marion Proctor as well as uh, Steve Rawlings. So come on out tonight, uh, Monday, October 2nd, to Zozo's Tavern. Uh, that's in Burlington, Kentucky there, northern Kentucky at 530 uh, we'll have Representative Proctor and Representative Rawlings. I'll be speaking there in order to do a fundraiser for their reelection campaigns coming up. Also, I'll be joined by Lee Watts. So one more thing, too. I want to go over the Big Tent event. This is a Gallatin County Republican event. Uh, it's happening this October 7th at 2 o'clock. They'll be having some food trucks out there, or at least some food, some barbecue, things like that. We'll have some live music, and they will also have speakers, including Rhonda Brown of the CareNet Pregnancy Centers, Jay Williams, the state senator, and, of course, Congressman Thomas Massey. And so live music, food. You know, good speakers, great things up there in Gallatin County. Uh, it's it's located on Odom's Farm. That's 50 U.S. Highway 42, West Warsaw, Kentucky. I went last year. It's a great time. I encourage everybody to turn out and go. And one more thing. If you are, um, I've been getting, as I said, a lot of event requests. People ask me to go speak at places or, or come to places. Just feel free to email those. Email is the best way to communicate with me. You can email me at andrew at the Andrew at, sorry, info at the Andrew show.com. That's info at the Andrew show.com. And without further ado, let's dig into it. So the safer Kentucky act I've thrown up there for uh, those of you watching this in, in the visual format, I've shown up a, um, the graphic that has been put out. So un, un, let me explain something here. So apparently our legislature didn't like people like me and people like you, uh, paying attention to what was being proposed by the legislature and then putting together either support to try to get other people to sign on or being able to coordinate uh, a resistance against it. And so, therefore, the legislature has gotten rid of a process of pre-filing bills. It used to be about this time there would be 
10, 20, 30 bills filed in the House and Senate combined of, of bills that people put together to propose for this upcoming year, whether that is so they could use them as campaign pieces or so they could begin to gather support. Because part of the problem is, and, and we'll go through this with this Safer Kentucky Act, is some of these things you don't know if you support or don't support because you don't know how the bill is going to be wrote. You don't know how it's going to address that issue. And because we don't know how it addresses the issue, how does it accomplish this? Uh, it makes it harder to understand whether you should be for or against the bill. And this, of course, is because those who know what's in the bill, those who support it, they're trying to gather together their supporters. Meanwhile, the people that would be possibly against portions or some or all of the bill, they're not able to gather together their pushback against it. And I'm not saying the Safer Kentucky Act will necessarily be something I would be uh, against. I don't know. I haven't exactly seen the bill. I do have some concerns we're going to go over in today's episode based upon that graphic there uh, and based upon what they say they're going to address and deal with. So I want to make sure I do take a, a look at that. But more importantly, this whole way of saying, hey, you can't pre-propose bills, so that way you can't gather together a support or, or lobby against the bills, quote-unquote lobby, I guess you could say, or at least gather support. In order to know what's going on, you have to be up there. You have to call and be talking to these people. It's harder. It makes it harder for common citizens to be able to organize and come together because either you know or you don't know. And if you want to secretly get together a bill and secretly gather support without having to worry about fighting a whole lot of people, this is the way to do it. And at the same time, as I said, uh, for those that are grassroots legislators, as I call them, people that rely on support of the people to call their legislators and ask them to support the bills because they don't do that. I'll scratch your back. You scratch mine kind of BS political garbage that goes on up in Frankfurt so often that leads to them spending more and more of our money while making our lives more and more miserable. And because they don't engage with that, uh, they don't cut backroom deals. They just say, look, this is a good bill. You should support it. And I'm going to tell your constituents about it. And they're going to tell you to support it. Well, this means you have to work too as well in your off season. And, you know, frankly, our legislators, they just can't do that. They can't handle working in the off season. That's not, well, they can't handle working. They do still want to get paid for their special days. They have to be there by the taxpayers, but they don't want to actually have to respond to your concerns or questions. And so we have things like this where you have bills like car, uh, which I've covered the the um, Crisis Aversion Rights Retention Act. That's a red flag gun law. And I've covered that in prior episodes of this podcast. And then you have things like this, the Safer Kentucky Act. You don't know exactly what the bill looks like. You don't know whether you should support it or be against it. And frankly, we won't know until we actually see the piece of legislation itself. And so obviously... That makes it a little bit harder, but we're going to do what we can with the information we have based on what people have said, the people who proposed the bill have said, uh, some of the legislators around the bill have said in order to kind of handle it. And so I, I'm going to break this down. This bill's trying to cover really, I think, three distinct things, homelessness uh, and the issues surrounding homelessness, not just the issues of, of course, the homeless themselves being homeless and their issues, but, uh, you know, the, the taxpayers, the property owners that are affected by this homelessness issue. 
Next is just general fighting of violent and victim crimes, not drug crimes per se, but violent victim crimes, just general safety. And then the third kind of category is a drug category where they're literally just dealing with the drug issues. And so on the homelessness issue, what does this propose to do? I'm going to throw this graphic back up as I go over some of the homelessness issues it's trying to target, which, you know, is really one could say about protecting private property rights. And then, of course, too, on public property, there's some usage rights here of protecting a person not getting to monopolize on it. So uh, homelessness obviously is a big problem. It's become a big problem ever since the panhandling laws have been ruled unconstitutional. So different options pushing forward. And these are the options this bill's talking about. I do have an option that I've thought of that I'll lay on you here at the end. But what they want to deal with in this piece here, and this is a graphic put out by the Republican House Caucus. Um, and one of those things is the homeless camping slash street camping issues. And so, and you can see this here in their graphic, they're bringing up uh, uh, preventing street camping. And then also as well, uh, they talk in here about homeless uh, camping, um, pr providing and, and fighting against homeless camping. And, you know, what's, what's interesting about dealing with this, and, and this is where it gets, I think, some of the lefties and, and more liberal Republicans will sometimes get a little more, not just liberal Republicans, but people, people in general get a little squeamish around because when we're talking about homeless camping or street camping, you say, well, they're homeless. Isn't it mean and awful to tell them to move along or clear them out? Well, the problem becomes is they've got to be somewhere. And that means they either are going to be on private or public property and private Property and, and it, you know it's not as if they're not harming anything either. I think that's another thing people like to dress this issue up as. They like to say, "Oh, just leave the homeless people alone. They're not hurting anything." Well, yeah, they are. They're destroying property. They're they're leaving needles and drug paraphernalia everywhere. Um, you know, condoms and things everywhere where they are, if they even use a condom. But anyways, uh, the, you know, they're leaving drugs and sex paraphernalia everywhere where they're at. They litter, uh, of course, causing damage into the area. They damage that environment. And also as well, because of all those factors, they also bring with them an element of criminality. They just do. Um, no matter which way you want to cut it, Generally speaking, you wouldn't say I feel super, super safe as uh, a, an individual walking through an area littered with homeless encampments. You just don't. And so if it's your private property that they're on, you want to clear them out. You do. If you are a business owner and you have even one or two homeless people sleeping underneath the canopies and stuff around your business, that is scaring away your customers as pushing people away. But also, too, when they pee in the corner. Trust me, they do. And when they pee in the corner or, or crap by the dumpster, you're the one who has to deal with that. You're the one who has to address those issues as the private property owner. That is not very uh, uh, enjoyable to deal with as a private property owner, especially if you're a business and you're trying to make something and trying to make a dollar here and you have this issue that you're trying to deal with. So obviously, you know, that's violating private property. And you see, uh, uh, you know, I've seen the city themselves do this here in Lexington. We've seen, you know, them clear out public, uh, more public and more visual homeless camps and then actually move them. 
and they end up settling in a place that's on private property, most uh, notably back behind the Lexington Legends Stadium. I think this was a year or two ago. I don't know if that homeless camp is still there, but the police cleared out all these homeless camps in Lexington. Well, they just end up settling on uh, Lexington Legends private property, their back lot. And it was quite a problem for the stadium owners to the point where they didn't want to deal with it anymore. That may go into why they sold the stadium. But anyways, regardless, uh, it becomes certainly quite uh, an issue for those private property owners. But then you go into the public property like street camping and and these other places, you know, and, and people say, look, um, OK, fine. They can't be on private property, but, you know, that's a public park. Just let them be there. Let them do whatever. Well, first, they don't pay taxes. They don't. You do. I do. Normal you know, uh, contributing citizens are paying those taxes. They are paying for those uh, areas. Do you feel like you can use that public park if there's a homeless encampment in it? Do you feel like you can feel safe taking your kids down there if you look down and there's, you know, 50, 60 tents of homeless? No, you don't. But yet you're still paying for that area. So what do you do? Where do you put a map? And that becomes quite the question. Now, it is one thing if there are no options for them. And that's something to address. And, 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 but I know, like, for example, in Lexington, I'm not saying there's enough uh, homeless uh, facilities for all the homeless people. But I do know that a lot of the homeless facilities here in Lexington and facilities that they could go to to clean up and, of course, become a part of productive member of society, provide for themselves and not have to leech off private property or public property. Uh, those places are not quite at capacities. Uh, they're often not at capacity, which means that they're not being fully fulfilled and used. Um, and that certainly, I think, provides an issue. And, and, and this also becomes a not in your backyard type of problem where you really don't care. Most people just being honest, really don't care if they do about the homeless issue. You just don't want it at your businesses and at your property and at your parks. That becomes a not in your backyard issue. And, and as much as the Democrats or not just Democrats, but like I said, well-meaning people, and they try to kind of demagogue this issue and the homeless issue it just becomes a big problem. And so actually a lot of these things they're using to attempt to deal with the homeless issue, like the homeless camping, street camping, shopkeepers privilege, enhancing that. Uh, I can tell you my own story about protecting private property. I remember one time I was doing an event uh, at Brood and a um, it was like five or six or seven o'clock on a Sunday or something. We'd normally be closed. And, but I was doing an event. And there were some kids there even. And uh, I'm going to assume he was homeless guy uh, comes up and just starts peeing on bushes right in front of a big window uh, at brood. And he, he's just, whips his thing out, starts peeing. And, you know, what's funny is that bush was dying too. It was the only bush dying in our landscaping. And I was wondering why, and now I know why. Um, and so he's peeing all over this bush. And so, you know, I, you know, we got kids there. So I come out, I'm like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta go. He's actually sitting there for a little bit while we had like a bench outside that wasn't public. It was our bench. And, uh, he was sitting on that bench for a little while and I wasn't going to really bother him. Um, he, I mean, he was clearly, you know, uh, a, a, a user of drugs and, and homeless and I wasn't really going to bother him, but then he gets out and he does that. And so I open up the door and he's like, you got to go. You can't be here. You need to move along. 
And the reason why I, as a shop owner, shopkeeper, have to address them deals a lot too. And this is something I guess that can be addressed or fixed deals a lot with trespassing people. You see the current Lexington police department, uh, um, rule, their current policy. There you go. The current Lexington Police Department policy is that it's not enough that I go up to somebody, even if I record it and say, hey, you can't be on this property. And uh, if you come back, you're going to be trespassed. And then if they refuse to leave, I then can call the police. But then if they leave before the police get there, well, you can still press charges because you have video evidence of you telling them, hey, you know, uh, uh, you can't be here. You need to leave and trespassing them off the property. Well, Lexington Police Department's rules were, at least this is the way it was a year or two ago, was that they had to, the police department, not you, the property owner, had to tell them to leave, but they, the police department, had to show up and on body camera be telling this person they're not allowed back on the property. And then if the person came back, then the police could arrest them. But both those situations, you're relying on response time, of course, of the police. And as well, you're telling somebody to leave and then they don't leave. Most normal people don't call the police immediately before and then tell them to leave. They would just go up to him and say, hey, you need to go. And then if it escalates and they don't leave, then they call the police. It's absolutely a horrible policy. And so addressing that to make it clear that private property owners can trespass people off their property if they have video evidence of them saying you're not allowed to be here and then them refusing to leave or coming back after that situation, that should be enough, but that isn't the way it's done. And so that is also hurting private property rights and private owners rights. It just is. And you can disagree with me and you can say, look, you know, it's real mean. Those homeless people, they need all the love and compassion. I hear you, but you know what? When you're risking tens of thousands of your dollars opening up a business or you want your family home to be safe, you want to be able to walk your dog at night, you want to be able to take your kid to the park without worrying about them stepping on a needle. When that, when, when those are our concerns or say are right now, please tell me one, it's not good for the homeless. That that's not the that's not a good life to live. And then two, that obviously isn't good for. Uh, society and our culture as a whole, that's not, it's, it's not good. You're getting your money stolen from you in the form of taxes and then given essentially to, to these people that destroy the area, these, these homeless encampments and everything else on public property or private property, you bought something yourself and now it's just being destroyed. That's awful. The other thing they're looking to do is increase penalties for vandalism of private or public properties and then also involuntary confinement for the mentally ill. Now, this one gets a little, uh, a little bit iffier. So obviously part of the homeless issue, you have a few categories of homeless. You know, you obviously have the drug users, but then you also have those who are mentally ill. And involuntary confinement for the mentally ill is, is essentially what it is, is saying to those people and how it deals with homeless is, oh, if you are mentally ill and you're on the streets, we're going to uh, pick you up and put you into a mental institution against your will, exactly how it sounds. And there's a part of you that says, yeah, this is compassion. As I was saying before, you know, is it compassion to leave a person who's mentally ill on the street to fend for themselves or is compassion, um, compassion to go ahead and make sure they get the help they need. That is the ultimate debate we have to have on that piece of legislation there. Um, and, and I think that it's going to come down to 
uh, that argument. How do you word that? How do you word the involuntary? Because what you don't want is a bunch of people's rights to be violated. They claim, hey, he's mentally ill and maybe he's not. Um, you know, you could see those situations. It makes people uncomfortable. I think everybody has a general fear, uh, of being committed to a mental institution, uh, when they aren't mentally ill because we've seen, of course, movies and heard stories and things like that about that. And so I think that is a natural fear of people. So it really depends on how that is, um, shaped and how it wrote. So a lot of this, like I said early, it's going to depend on the bill itself, how it's wrote, how it's put together. But so far on the homeless issues, I agree with, with a lot of what they're doing because this is getting out of control. You have these panhandlers, you have these private property, public property being desecrated, vandalized, ruined. Uh, you know, people's blood, sweat, and tears are being destroyed. Uh, you know, their tax dollars being destroyed. And it's just, it's just too much. On top of that, um, you know, I mentioned about how a possible solution I would have to pain handling. And I don't know if I've talked about this before in the podcast, but I'd love to see some of these homeless um, nonprofits that, that put together help for the homeless and everything else to stand right next to these homeless people. Uh, make sure you, you might want to make sure you police nearby in case it gets violent, but stand right next to these homeless people with signs that pretty much say, don't give them money give me money and we'll make sure it goes to the facilities to take care of them uh, and kind of deal with those problems in that way. Basically you have somebody to compete with them on the, the street corners to push them away uh, because they are there collecting up money that will ultimately go to helping them if that person so chooses to do so. So it gives you the chance for compassion while at the same time uh, not, you know, quote unquote feeding the cats. If you follow what I'm saying, it's like giving, uh, cat food and resources to an animal shelter instead of just feeding cats in your own backyard. Uh, you're just creating more problems for yourself when you feed them in your own backyard. But if you give resources and food to a cat shelter, well, they're spading, they're neutering, they're dealing with those issues. And so it's not in your backyard, but you're still able to compassionately deal with the issue. Well, uh, coming up after this, we're going to talk about some of the other initiatives they're pushing forward on fighting crime um, and those types of of uh, things that need to be addressed, not really drugs, but on the crime issues after this short break. All right. Going back to the safer Kentucky act, what we see as well. So we talked about some of the uh, initiatives to address drug issues, but now we have some things to not address drug issues, but just kind of uh, address crime. We'll talk about drug issues at the end. As I said, uh, that's kind of its own category, but just fighting crime kind of violent uh, victims crime in general. So a few of the initiatives they have is targeting persistent felony offenders with the street three strike law. Uh, I believe there's already a three strike law. So how are they saying at the state? I'd be curious to kind of see, I know what they're trying to address is the fact that you have people with rap sheets a mile long that keep reoffending, 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 reoffending. And it, it, appears clear like they're not going to change their way so how do you address that but at the same time as well you know this this becomes an interesting point of conversation because while i understand the concept of this person is clearly just a, a criminal loser that's never going to change your life but at the end of the day honestly as far as the the effect on society is there any difference if, if you get robbed and let's say somebody steals, I don't know, five grand from you, let's say you got five grand, 
in guns and computer equipment and everything else. And you get robbed. And so somebody steals $5,000 worth of stuff from you. Do you care if that person has done this 20 times or if it was their first time? No. Is your stuff any less stolen if it's their first time versus their 20th time? No. And so that's one where I don't, I understand this idea that, oh, well, people make mistakes. Let's take it easier on a first offender. And then, of course, you know, hey, this guy's really awful. He's been doing this time and time again. It's his third, fourth, fifth, sixth offense he's been caught on doing this. He needs to, you know, throw him in jail, throw away the key. I understand that concept and I understand that line of thinking, but just to challenge a little bit, not saying even I know where I'd fall on this. So don't take this as me saying the gospel truth of how I feel, but just to challenge you a little bit here. The crime is still the crime, regardless of how many times that person has committed the crime. The victim of the crime is still victimized, regardless of how many times the person's committed the crime. You still have your stuff stolen from you. It doesn't objectively matter to you, whether it's a person's first or second time. If somebody is murdered, it doesn't objectively really matter if it's their first murder or their fifth murder. That really doesn't matter. What matters is, is somebody was murdered or somebody was stolen from. There is a, a crime that's been committed. And I, I do just want to challenge the thinking of saying, I, I understand maybe it's about targeting lesser crimes that come with lesser sentences. And that's a conversation. But I don't really think it should matter how many times a person's committed crimes or not. I think if you if you steal the same thing with the same stuff, you should receive the same punishment regardless of how many times you've done it or not done it and regardless of, of anything else. And I, I, you know, when it comes to these deal making and everything else and, and they've got this, this span of, of when you can be sentenced to based upon how the judge feels and, and so on and so forth, it, it is just a little confusing. And I know my lawyer friends will be yelling at me and saying, Oh, there's a good reason for it and blah, 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 but I don't really care. Um, but it is confusing that you commit the same crime and yet you can get a different punishment as somebody else. doesn't really make a lot of sense, but anyways, and so the, uh, increasing that three strikes law, putting a Kentucky state police post in Louisville. Of course, this is kind of a way for the Republicans, you know, Louisville is clearly a Democrat city. Um, but the Republican representation, there's a large amount of Republican representation of Louisville due to how the districts have been cut up. Um, there's still a lot of Democrats too, as well, of course, but this is a way that Republicans, in Louisville, which understand the, the, the county of Jefferson County, despite it being a Democrat majority county or city, Louisville, which is where Jefferson County is, of course, despite it being a Democrat majority city or county, it still is the largest source of Republicans in the state. And so obviously you want to get their quote unquote wills done so you can bring in money into the party and bring in money to candidates all across the state and and that's part of the, the KSP interceding, I guess, is to say, look, we don't like the way Louisville's running things. And so we'll put the state police in there. I don't know if I like that or not. Um, obviously, there's good parts and bad parts to it. We know that uh, the way that Louisville's policies on policing, not Louisville police, but the policy on policing is certainly leading to some issues as far as crime goes for the people of Louisville. And uh, that could be a fix for it. But, you know, who knows? Um, they do have these two other things here. They talk about increasing penalties for attempted murder and bail fund reform. What this really is dealing with is the attempted political assassination of current Louisville 
Mayor uh, Greenberg while he was still a candidate. Quintez Brown uh, attempted to assassinate him, came into his office, fired off several rounds, missed him. Um, did, I guess, graze his sweater or something with one of those rounds, but fired off several rounds and missed him. And Quintez Brown was arrested. And then he was put up on bail for $100,000. And he was out uh, within a day or two after that bail because a bail fund group with BLM ties bailed him out. And so they have two things here. They said, one, attempted murder, increasing the charges for that. Um, that could have more to do with than just this attempted assassination attempt, but um, that could do with, you know, obviously there's a lot of attempted murders happening in Louisville. But the second is to refund, uh, uh, re, sorry, um, kind of reform these bail funds. And so there's these nonprofits that people donate to that sh all they do is bail people out of jail. Now, in other states, not in Kentucky, they have something called a bail bondsman. I'm sure you've heard of bounty hunters, right? Dog the bounty hunter. Well, those are people out to, to get people that bounce. But the point is, is that when you have people donating to a bail fund, there is no exact monetary incentive for that person to show up to court. The whole entire point of bail is to say like, hey, we know justice will take time. Um, so we've decided this is a, the thought process. I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. You could agree or disagree. I'm just telling you what the thought process is. So you're waiting to be, uh, to go in uh, to talk about a crime. And so in order to make sure you show up to your hearing after they release you from jail, they want to uh, put a, a few rules. They can make a few rules of your release, like an anklet and, you know, no drinking, no alcohol, no drugs. You got to stay at home, whatever house arrest. But they can also, they also say you need to give us X amount of dollars and the amount of dollars they want you to give them depends upon the crime, but also the person who committed the crime. Obviously, if somebody who's worth billions commits a crime, well, telling them, you know, the thought process is, is if, oh, we're throwing them up on murder, you know, a hundred thousand dollar bond for attempted murder. Uh, if they know they're guilty and they're going to go to jail for 10, 15, 20 years. And so they decide they're going to take off and run. Well, a hundred grand is enough to keep them here and keep them from running. But if they're worth a fair amount of money, that may be a hundred million dollars. Well, not a hundred million. Uh, I don't know if a bill's ever been that high, but that may perhaps, but it could be 10 million or 15 million or 20 million. It could be significantly higher in order to keep you there. So the entire point of a bail is to create a financial quote unquote incentive to make sure you show up. And in other states that allow bail bondsmen, the bail bondsman is, is fronting the money for you. But then if you run, um, they now have a financial incentive to track you down. Hence the whole bounty hunter thing, because when you show up to your court hearing, uh, regardless if you're guilty or not guilty or what have you, uh, your bail gets returned to whoever paid it. And so the bail bondsman, so if you say you get put out on a $10,000 bail, so you go to a bail's bondsman in a lot of these other states, this is how it works, not in Kentucky, you give them a thousand dollars. Um, and then they put forward the 10,000 or maybe you put, give them a thousand dollars. And then also you put up a collateral of your car, uh, for the other amount of money. And then you, go ahead and you show up to court. Well, the bail bondsman gets back his $10,000. He gets to keep the thousand you gave him and that's his fee. So you permanently lose money, but they get their money back. But then if you jump, they want to get you back because they want their $10,000 back. 
Um, and so it kind of gets around the entire point of bail when you have nonprofits staking the money because there is no financial exactly incentive for these people to return outside of, I guess, some sort of commitment to the greater good. But the fact of the matter is that they're committing crimes. They're not exactly uh, real attracted to the greater good. And so the reforming of these, because how do you, if anybody can pay without themselves having to give up a dime, a $100,000 bail bond or a hundred thousand dollar bail cost. Well, how do you, how do you set a bail amount that makes sense to ensure that a person shows back up to court, uh, when they're supposed to. And so that's, uh, the reason why that's on the list. Now, what will that accomplish? I don't know. Um, requiring parents to attend juvenile hearings. That makes some sense. Death penalty for the murder of a law enforcement officer. Uh, reforming the parole board, uh, creating a state carjacking statue. Um, and then this one here has been receiving quite a lot of controversy and pushback. Allow law enforcement to use wiretapping when appropriate. What do they mean by that? Are they saying that they're going to allow law enforcement to wiretap without a warrant? Um, are they saying they're going to allow government wired? I mean, we have seen a litany of examples of how that has been misused in the history of this country when it comes to law enforcement and how uh, it's used to target people like crazy. This is uh, a big brother's always watching overreach. There has to be a lot of limitations on that wiretapping. We haven't seen the bill yet. And so obviously making the claim that, Hey, this is, this is uh, a great bill without seeing that that is going to be quite the question uh, the wiretapping thing, very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. Well, coming up after this, uh, finally, we'll go over the Safer Kentucky Act, what it does to address drug issues here in Kentucky. We'll have more after this short break. All right, finally, the Safer Kentucky Act takes a stab at addressing some of the drug issues uh, going on, of course, in Kentucky and all across the nation. And a few of the less, um, I guess, controversial things they talk about during it is contraband in detention facilities. Uh, obviously, too, this relates to a lot of the homeless issues and reentry for leaving incarceration. The reason why this deals with some, that is some of the less, I guess, controversial things dealing with drug issues, contraband in the federal detention facilities. If it's hard to get drugs in a detention facility, well, then you're more likely, of course, to come out clean. And that's part of it. See, the problem is, is that um, you get arrested for uh, crimes and, and doing drugs or what have you, and then you go into a facility that just has more drugs, and your chance of recovery is low and next to nothing. Now, a lot of people would use this uh, Safer Kentucky Act as an opportunity maybe to talk about violent crimes, nonviolent crimes when it comes to drugs and everything else. And I, I don't think we really need to have a conversation in this about whether or not drugs should be illegal or legal. I think that is a pretty large conversation, but there is one particular thing that I do want to discuss. And it's something I know that has really caught on in Republican circles to talk about. And I think it needs to be addressed. And that is, um, dealing with treating a drug dealer who, so you have a drug dealer who sells drugs to somebody and then they overdose and die and overdose death. And then enhancing the punishment for that drug dealer. In fact, um, enhancing it all the way up. And, and some have talked about enhancing it to a capital 
offense, enhancing it to, you know, life in prison or, uh, you know, um, you know, give them the electric chair, you know, death by, by state injection, whatever, lethal injection, whatever, however they're doing it now these days. But anyways, um, you know, and there's people who've talked about that and, I hear, like I said, I've heard it in Republican circles during the governor's election. I heard a lot of people talk, a lot of candidates talking about, you know, if you sell drugs and somebody dies in Kentucky, you'll be charged with full-fledged murder. And and I understand where you're coming from there. And I just I just want to challenge a little bit. So it's something that goes through my head when I think about it. And there's and there's three things. And you know what's funny is is I was talking to my wife about this. And my wife herself was like, yeah, you know, just whatever. Yeah, they they contributed murder, throw them away, what have you. And I said, well, hold on, let's let's just talk about this logically for a second, okay? Are you saying that? Are you actually going to say that somebody, um, you're going to equate a drug dealer selling drugs to somebody and then them overdosing? Now, maybe now I, I'm I'm removing, and I don't know much about obviously drugs. And so I'm going to say something that, um, if I'm way wrong on, let me know. But as I understand it, most of the time, um, it's an overdose due to, uh, heavy, heavy usage. A lot of times it's people who stop using drugs for a month or two, and then they're using drugs again, or they're, they just put too much in them. Uh, they get to a point where they keep upping their dose and upping their dose. And then they take too much and very small amount of time. Is it something where the drug dealer themselves has knowingly laced something different into the drug? I could be way wrong. Um, and if I am way wrong, I am way wrong. But if that's something where the drug dealer themselves has, has knowingly laced uh, drugs with a more severe, uh, um, uh, situation where, you know, a, a normal user would easily overdose and die on it. Um, that that's a different situation. But if you're saying that a drug dealer sells drugs to somebody, then they decide, uh, then they take too much and they overdose. Uh, now that is the same. That drug dealer has committed murder in the same way. Because remember, you're saying uh, you want it to be a capital offense. This is something I've, I'm not saying that the Safer Community Act is saying make a capital offense, a homicide, uh, you know, life in prison, uh, lethal injection offense. I have heard other Republican governor candidates talk about it while I was on the campaign trail. I've heard uh, uh, Republicans in office talk about it. I've heard Republicans surrounding the Safer Communities Act talk about it. I've, I've heard pundits talk about it. And I think there's a big difference, and this is my problem, are you saying that somebody selling somebody drugs that then they overdose on has the same punishment as me planning out for several weeks, not me, but somebody planning out for several weeks, a murder, then walking in after planning that murder out, committing that murder, and then attempting to get away with committing that murder and they're completely sane. Because that would be the same. So if you're saying somebody's selling drugs to somebody, then that person uses too much and overdoses. Has the same, you think, moral, I don't want to say moral, whatever, but should have the same punishment as somebody literally planning and executing a murder on another human being. Like literally meaning to, purposely meaning to and intending 
to murder somebody. I don't think that we should value those two the same, but also there's another problem, I a gigantic problem I have with this kind of, uh, you know, blame the dealers thing. And this is the, you can't have your cake and eat it too. This is my entire problem with everybody when it comes to the quote-unquote drug epidemic is nobody wants to say the most important thing out loud. And that is this. We have got to assign these people personal accountability. And I know people want to say, look, drugs, it's an addiction, it's a disease, it's this, it's that. And, and I hear you and I understand it's very difficult and everybody's got their own demons to deal with. And I understand all of that, okay? I'm not trying to trivialize it. But what I'm saying is this is that we want to, a, a person can overdose on drugs and just keep getting hit with Narcan time and time and time and time again and never face any kind of legal consequences when they're the ones who filled the syringe with the drug and they're the ones who put it in their arm. But yet, the same people who talk about giving them second chances and, and helping drug users and how, oh, it's none of their faults and everything else, something that has become a common talking point. This is a common talking point, is that the same people that sit there and say, uh, you know, passion for drug users and we got to help them rehabilitate and everything else will then turn around and say, and if you're a drug dealer, you're going to jail for life for selling drugs and somebody overdoses and dies. It, we're taking away all personal accountability from this conversation. That drug user, there has got to be an assigning them a personal accountability if they will ever recover. And this is the thing. If they're ever going to recover from drugs, if they're ever going to overcome their addiction, they have to take personal accountability for their actions. They can't pretend that they're powerless. And you have to stop feeding into that belief that they're powerless and can't make a decision for themselves. And when you want to hold a drug dealer to higher accountability than the person who overdoses, what you're saying is, and you're feeding into this belief that that drug user has no choice. They're just a victim of the system. And at no point along the way have they had any kind of accountability. That's the part to me that doesn't make sense. That's the thing to me that makes me feel, I guess you call it uneasy, about assigning drug dealers uh, uh, such a grave response. I'm not saying you, they're, you know, if, if you're somebody, you're against drugs, drug dealers, everything else, absolutely take them, take them away, do whatever, right? That's not... The point. The point is, though, is you're not holding the drug user to nearly the same self accountability that you're holding the drug dealer to. And meantime, drug dealers are just drug users themselves trying to feed their own habit. And I think that's the problem is that, okay, somebody can overdose as many times as they want, faces no repercussions, but if one time they overdose, on the same stuff that they've overdosed a hundred times on, but they've gotten read and woken up with Narcan. But if one time they overdose and somebody's not there to Narcan them and they die, now you as a drug dealer, not you, but a drug dealer, now for that one occurrence could face life in prison. And I get it. Drugs are a big issue and drug dealers and, and everything else. And I understand the desire to say, do something. But I'm telling you that something to do is not to pass laws and beliefs 
and, and hold a belief that drug users are completely unaccountable for their actions and shouldn't be held to any kind of standard at all. This doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show as we took a look at the Safer Kentucky Act bill coming up into this session. We'll take an eager look at that, too, once they formally wrote the bill. Uh, we'll see you back here at 1 o'clock, hopefully tomorrow. Like I said, it's been very busy past few weeks. We're getting out as many episodes as we can. Bear with us uh, as we try to get this handled. But thank you all so, so much for joining me. Have a great rest of your day.